We're going to be in Daniel chapter 2. So if you have a, a Bible there, uh, grab your pew Bible. Maybe you are going to turn on your device. I want you to turn to Daniel chapter 2. We're going to give you some time to look that up. Last week, we went through all the different things that have changed uh, since I grew up or since I was born back in the early 70s. And uh, I grew up in the 80s. I, I consider myself a child of the 80s. I'm a generation Xer. Uh, and that only means that I'm old now. That's it. Uh, but my generation grew up with things like uh, calling a, a phone number. Do you remember you had to call a phone number to find out what time it was? You had to call a phone number to find out what the temperature was. This morning, all of us would have called that and to see that it was negative 13 degrees outside this morning. Do you remember calling the local movie theater to find out what was showing uh, that evening? Uh, if you grew up in the 80s, we grew up in the, the age of crank car windows. We started out with eight tracks. We moved on to cassette tapes, and then we finally got CDs. Uh, we still had pay phones then. Girls wore leg warmers and jelly bracelets. Do you remember those? Guys wore Ocean Pacific and Dracar Cologne. <laughs> McDonald's, do you remember this? McDonald's had those little tin ashtrays. They had a little M embossed on them, and those were always in the smoking section of the restaurant. The 80s were the era of big hair and Aquanet. Do you remember that? Music that we listened to at the time, In Excess, Van Halen, U2, Journey, Madonna. Unfortunately, there were also bands like Culture Club and Wham. Yuck. Michael Jackson was the most popular uh, of all of the uh, uh, entertainment in the 80s. He was so popular that he needed a fainting tent. There was a fainting tent at all of his uh, uh, concerts that was staffed with a paramedic or a nurse because as soon as he would walk onto stage, people would drop like flies and they would just faint just at the sight of Michael Jackson on stage. And we can say what we want about Michael Jackson, but there was nobody bigger at the time. He was, the king of pop was more popular at that time, I would say, than almost any living person in the 80s. Now, if we go back to the time of our story, if we go back about 4,500 years ago, we're going to meet a, a guy that would make Michael Jackson look a little puny. His name was King Nebuchadnezzar, and he was the new ruler of this empire. And at the time, this empire was bigger than any the world had ever seen up until that point. And people in his day would have been awestruck just to be in, in the same place as King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, <clears throat> he probably would need a, a fainting tent as well. Uh, people would just drop like flies as well. And during his day, there was nobody more significant than King Nebuchadnezzar. But like the other rules, rulers of that day, he thought of himself in that same way. He wanted to be idolized. He thought of himself as the most important person. He wanted other people to think of him as a, as a deity, as, as barely human. But as we read about him in the book of Daniel, we're going to see that this guy, King Nebuchadnezzar, was very human and had some very noticeable human flaws. <laughs> One of those 
was he was plagued with bad dreams. And so this week we're in Daniel chapter 2. And we see here that one night during uh, his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had a disturbing dream and he couldn't sleep because of it. Uh, So let's start at verse 1. It says, in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, (coughs) excuse me, I have had dreams that trouble me and I want to know what they mean. Let's pause there for a little bit. Uh, In his dream, Nebuchadnezzar saw this giant statue. It was a statue of a man, and uh, and his appearance was was frightening. The head of this statue was made made of fine gold, and the chest and the arm of this statue were made of silver. The middle part was made of bronze, the legs were iron, and the feet were made out of iron and clay. And so he calls in his council, these guys are supposed to be wise, and he has them gather around him, and he says, tell me the dream that I've had, and explain it to me. And his council tells him this, no one can tell you what you've dreamed. Nobody can do that, only the gods can, and then they say, and they don't even live around here. All right, so let's skip down to verse 12. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death. And men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them (coughs) to death. Remember last week, Daniel and his three friends There are friends that that we met last week. They were kidnapped out of Jerusalem and they were brought about 900 miles to the east to to be integrated into the Babylonian culture. But now we see that, that Daniel and his friends find themselves in the firing line because they've now graduated from the University of Babylon and in chapter one, and they're now considered among the king's advisors. And because the king's advisors couldn't tell the king what the dream meant, they are now also on the death list. Verse 14, when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. Other versions say that Daniel spoke to him with prudence and discretion. Verse 15, He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went in to the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Verse 17, then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from God of heaven, from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision, and then Daniel praised God of heaven. So here we find Daniel, and he goes back to the king, 
he's brave enough to, to confront the king and he, he tells him the dream and the interpretation. Uh, so here it says in verse 27, no wise man, enchanter, magician or, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery that he is asked about. But, Daniel says, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And so he goes on to say, King Nebuchadnezzar, you are in fact the golden head of this statue. To which the king probably said, you bet I am. Absolutely. All right, you're off to a pretty good start, boy. Keep going here. And can you imagine the king, as soon as he knows that he's the head of this statue, he's probably a little prideful. He's probably a little bit proud. And he's starting to sit up a little bit straighter in his throne by now. And so Daniel continues. Look at verse 34. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron and the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold were all broken into pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. See, in this statue, the silver, the bronze, and the iron represent different kingdoms that were going to be coming. And a lot of scholars would say that these point towards the upcoming Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, and then the Roman Empire. Look at verse 44. In the time of those kings... The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the, of the rock cut out of the mountain, not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. So as Daniel was telling the, the king this story, can you imagine that he's getting all pumped up here? He's learning that he is the head of this great statue, but then he learns that the other elements are representing different kingdoms that are going to come, but they're also going to crumble and then be destroyed. And the bottom line of all this is I believe that the interpretation of this dream was more for Daniel than it was for King Nebuchadnezzar. The meaning of this dream is that God is in control and he has purpose that is going to be achieved and there is never gonna be anything from this world that is ever going to come against God's kingdom and destroy it. It will not happen. So this news would have been pretty distressing, maybe even depressing to the king but can you imagine how liberating this would be to Daniel? And the message is clear. God is going to replace every kingdom this world has ever known and replace it with his own everlasting kingdom. And this is what happens if we see through the pages of, of history. The Babylonian Empire is destroyed by the Persian Empire. The Persian Empire is going to fall to Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire. 
it will fall into the hands of the Roman Empire. And at the pinnacle of the Roman Empire, it stretched all the way from England in the north, all the way down to northern Africa in the south. And in that portion, in this pinnacle of the Roman Empire, an angel quietly appears to a teenage virgin in a redneck Middle Eastern town to announce to her that God is now establishing his kingdom and that she is going to have a son and that she will name him Jesus. Luke chapter 1, we read this at Christmas time, but it says, And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his, fa- or of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And so this girl famously says, well, how can this be? How how can this be Uh -uh, since I am still a virgin? And the angel basically tells her, Mary, don't worry about it. God has this. You don't even need to be concerned about that. You don't need to know exactly how it's going to happen. God is going to do this and God is going to take care of it. Now let's go back to, to Daniel Remember what Daniel said to the king, in the time of those kings, God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all of those kingdom and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. So Jesus sets us for that kingdom when he was born, and Jesus is the one who locks it into place when he defeats death and the devil by raising from the dead. And this kingdom of Jesus in its size and, and scope today make the kingdom of Babylon look very tiny, very insignificant. It's estimated that at the time in the Babylonian uh, empire, It was probably about 200,000 people that were part of that empire. There is 2.3 billion Christians today. It far surpasses, far surpasses the Babylonian empire, the Persian empire, the Greek empire, or the Roman empire. So what does this mean to us today? I think there's some lessons here from, from Daniel Daniel hears of the murderous plan from the king. He doesn't freak out. You don't see him going into despair. You don't see him going into depression. And so what does he do? If you have your notes or if you're online, you can even fill these out online as well. The first thing we can learn is that Daniel prayed first. Daniel prayed first. He, he goes back to his buddies and he gathers them around him and he says, hey guys, we need to pray through this. We need to call upon the only one that is powerful enough to change this situation for us. We can't change the king's mind. He's too powerful for us, but he's no match for our God. And so in verse 18, he urged them. He said, we need to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this situation. Not too long ago at our house, our refrigerator started leaking. And so there in our fridge, or in our fridge, in our kitchen, 
Carol, Mom, and I all stood around this fridge, and we all looked at it as if we had any idea what was happening. Why in the world is our refrigerator leaking water on the floor? And I don't know which one of them said it. I'm not going to blame either one, but I heard these words. Do we need to call somebody to fix it? What? What do you mean call somebody? I'm a man. I can figure out a refrigerator, right? I can figure this out. I can figure out a leaky fridge. See, testosterone does not allow a man to call someone, right? So we have YouTube now, right? And so if I have YouTube, I can pretty much learn anything, right? Somebody has made a video about our refrigerator. They did, all right? Now, it may sound like a joke, but because I now have a way to instantly call upon an expert, I can watch them do the same thing. I instantly have more knowledge than I did before. Now, also recently, our, our truck, the engine light, started coming on, and we realized that we needed an oil pressure sensor put in our truck. And so I consulted YouTube. And I looked up how to change this pressure sensor, and the guy on the video changed it in about 20 minutes. And, but I realized that this is beyond my abilities. And so I did have to make a call, and I called Mike. I called Mike, and Mike is the master mechanic. Mike knew exactly how to fix this problem. See, there's a lot of times in our chaos and the things that happen in our life, we need to call in the master mechanic, don't we? Instead of trying to fix the situation ourselves. Daniel told his friends to call upon the God of heaven concerning this situation. They called upon the master mechanic who knew how to fix this. And so the second lesson we need to learn is that Daniel did not panic. See, when I read the scriptures about this situation, the king sends for, uh, for Daniel and his friends so that they can be put to death, so that they can be executed. And when I hear that, I think, I wonder what they were feeling at that time. I try to put myself in their shoes. Here is the world's most powerful king at that moment, and he's calling for their head. I don't know about you, but I'm probably going to start looking for an escape. I'm probably going to try to find a, a way out of that situation. Others probably just gave up. What, are we, what could we possibly do against this powerful king? We, we might as well just give in to our fate, but not Daniel. There doesn't seem to be any panic in his words. I don't see any desperation here. The only thing that I see from Daniel is an acknowledgement of God is the one that can handle this situation and that Daniel can't. The same is true for us, isn't it? God is completely able to handle any situation whether or not we are capable of finding a solution. I wonder, I wonder how many times that We've taken the situation out of God's hands and tried to fix it by ourselves, thinking that we knew better than God. I wonder how many times God has become our last resort 
instead of the first place we go for help. We don't know what that conversation was like between Daniel and his friends. Hey guys, there's a, there's a little bit of a situation we need to pray about. Um, the king is going to kill us. And you see, the king has had this dream and if we're gonna remain alive much longer, God's gonna have to show up. God's gonna have to tell me exactly what the king dreamt and what the dream meant. That doesn't sound like a very promising situation, does it? But for Daniel, it's just a matter of prayer. It's nothing to panic over. Well, God does answer the prayer. He does give Daniel the the dream and the interpretation of the dream. And Daniel gives God praise. Uh, Verse 20, listen to what Daniel said to God. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He disposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise. And what makes you wise? It's knowing when to call in the master mechanic. Knowing when you're in over your head, right? He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what I ask of you. And you have made known to us the dream of the king. But when the king went to these, his advisors, uh, to all of those other guys, and he asked them to interpret that dream, the thing that they told him, they said, that thing that the king is asking for is just too difficult for us. We can't do this. No one can show us what the king dreamt about except the gods. And then they said, and their dwelling isn't even in flesh. So those advisors recognized that such an answer was only going to come from somebody as powerful as powerful as a God. But the problem is they didn't know where to find their gods. Daniel did. Daniel knew that God was available anytime. God was with them in Jerusalem. God is with them in exile. And today's society believes that they're the solution to all of our crises. Uh, the problem is, is that today's society all believes that they're the only ones with the right answer. One side believes this, one side believes that, and each side is gonna dig our heels in and demand that the other side, the other way of thinking caves in. Yet God is the one who knows how to handle the situation. A third lesson from Daniel is this. He knew the source of the solution. God, the God, is the source of our strength. He is the one that is listening. He is the one who is answering our prayers. He is the one who has dominion over this world. He is the one who has all authority. He is the one who's still in control. See, the advisors to the king call upon whatever power they thought at the time could solve their problem. And they had a God of rain, they had a God of sun, they had gods of fertility, they had gods of war, they had gods of wisdom. And when I look at 
Compare them to modern day society, there's not a whole lot of difference. We may not have dozens of, of gods or idols set up around our homes to pray to in that situation, but we certainly find ourselves seeking the solution in the wrong place. And we, we just seem like we believe anything can help us. There was a, a theologian, uh, G.K. Chesterton, and he wrote this once, when people cease to believe in the God of Daniel's fathers, the God who has revealed himself in scripture, they do not believe in nothing. No, they believe in just about anything. And the only God whom the culture will not, cannot put up with is this God who says and shows that he is the one true God. See, we're living in this post-Christian society that believes that truth and goodness is relative to the individual and then that we can understand truth individually. And society now will tell us that our truth, though the truth that we subscribe to as a Christian, that our truth isn't their truth. It is their truth, whether they recognize that or not. See, our, our society doesn't mind if we want to include our God somewhere in this mix of all these modern day idols that our society goes to as long as we keep him to ourselves. But I think that the followers of Christ don't need to be silent about the absolute truth because God is the truth. Jesus is the way and the life and the truth. But Daniel gives us, there's kind of like a little bonus lesson here, um, how to handle ourselves in the face of opposition, especially in this face of, in this post-Christian society, this exile that we seem to be living in today. When the man came to tell Daniel that he was next on the chopping block, Daniel didn't panic and he didn't make matters worse by getting in the guy's face either. See, scripture says he faced the situation with prudence and discretion. And folks, we can search the Bible in vain. We'll search the whole Bible in vain for one of God's people responding aggressively, angrily, or condescendingly to any pagan. There's a lesson there. And we know where our help comes from, right? It's a source of our strength. We don't need to act that way. So this brings us to the final lesson from Daniel. And this final lesson isn't even in Daniel chapter two. It's written in the Psalms about this situation. And so this final lesson is this. Daniel didn't hang up his harp. Now I'll explain kind of what that means. In Psalm 137, it's written as a song of hope for the Jewish people their temple has now been destroyed. The song was written to remind the people that God is going to raise them up once again. And, and the first verses of this psalm say this. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. They were on the, there on the poplars, we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs, our tormentors demanded songs of joy, and they said, sing us some of the songs of Zion. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? 
See, they were looking back at the good old days and, and they were weeping and they had hung up their harps for there is nothing, it seemed like there was nothing that they were able to sing about in Babylon. Their culture was being destroyed right around their eyes. And I think it was good for the, them to weep because of all the things they had lost. I think they should have wept because of what their sin had caused. And so, but they hung up their harp and they just gave up. They were ready to quit. But folks, when our society gets darker and darker around us, when tragedy and chaos become our norm, when there seem to be more bad days than good days, when no one around us seems to share our worldview or our faith, don't hang up your harp. It's then It's in that situation that us Christians need to work hard and we need to serve well and we need to stay faithful and we need to pray consistently. Why? Because God's people should know that there is always going to be something to sing about in Babylon because Babylon does not win and Babylon is not going to endure for a stone will smash it and grow into a mountain. We, on our side of Daniel's story, we have seen more evidence of God's grace and goodness than Daniel ever could. We have seen, we have it in in, in God's word. We've seen the stone arrive. We know that the name of the king who whom death could not hold. We can look back in history and in our world and we can see how that stone has become a mountain. And so it's not time for us to hang up our harp. The kingdom of God is not going to fail. The kingdom of God is uncollapsible because God has set up an embassy in your neighborhood. It's called your home. So don't be discouraged as as you read about dwindling finances or don't be distraught over maybe dwindling numbers or a society that looks at us who follow Jesus and society may think that we're absolutely crazy and we've gone nuts. Instead, commit yourselves to God's kingdom. Serve your church family, give to it, do something about it because when the Lord builds his church through our serving and through our giving, We are being used by God to build a kingdom that will last forever. There is not another kingdom that's going to come and take over God's kingdom. It will not be handed over to a foreign power. But in the meantime, we need to work hard. We need to give sacrificially. And we're not going to panic. We're not going to angrily vent. And we will possess a peace that the world is going to look at us and won't even understand or fathom. Because we know that God is still God. And we know that God is still in control. And his kingdom, his church, ultimately knows no rivals. Will you stand with me as we close in prayer? And if you're at home, maybe you can... Stand as well and just join us in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have established your kingdom here on earth when 
You have established your kingdom by sending your son who cemented it into place with his life and his death and his resurrection. Lord, we are serving in a kingdom that will not pass away, will not be handed over to a foreign power, will not be taken over by the forces of this world. It will endure forever. Your side has already won. We are already standing victorious. So Lord, help us to live a victorious life. And Lord, as our world changes around us, as we find ourselves in this post-Christian society, where society looks at us and thinks we're just crazy for following a God that we can't see, we know, we know the absolute truth. And we can proclaim your good news. Thank you, Lord, for looking out over your kingdom, for allowing us to be part of your kingdom. And so, Lord, would you, would you give us all the strength and the courage that we need to be beacons of hope in this world that doesn't understand that your kingdom will never go away. Your kingdom will never be handed over. Lord, we get to be part of your kingdom on earth. Thank you, Lord, for sending your son. Thank you, Lord, for your sovereignty over all of that, that you knew we needed that savior. You knew we needed that chance and that forgiveness of our sins. Maybe there's somebody here, Lord, who has never realized that they can be part of your kingdom has never accepted the forgiveness and the sacrifice that your son has given them from the cross. And whether they're here in person or whether you're watching online, you have the opportunity to go to the king of all kings and hand him over your life. And in exchange, he will give you his. He's already paid the price for you. If that's your decision, if you feel that Holy Spirit's tug upon your soul today, I just urge you to write in the comments or find one of the pastors here today, and we would be glad to pray with you today. But Lord, thank you for establishing your kingdom on earth. Help us in the face of any opposition to pray and not to panic and to know where our help comes from. For you are the one that is worthy of all of our praise. We love you, God. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. And all of us say together, amen.